So I think I need to apologize. I'd like to begin with a trigger warning. This is completely, utterly mad. You're gone. It's difficult to know when you're supposed to apologize. It's difficult because we tend to just defend ourselves rather than apologize. Most apologies end up being something more of a a regret that I had to tell you what I told you even though I was completely justified in doing so, but I'm sorry about the consequences, which are mostly your fault, and I want you to stop being angry at me about that and let me remain convinced that I'm okay. But that's how, like, the the standard human apology, right? We we give our reasons. That's the first thing that makes apology difficult. But then the other thing that makes apology difficult is telling the difference. Being able to discern between whether... The hurt that another individual has or the anger, the frustration, even the disagreement, whether that is in fact your fault, your doing, or whether it is in fact not your fault at all. And then the question a little is, uh, can you, can you hurt other people by apologizing for things you didn't do, which would in effect be lying, right? And then that would beg the question, can you, can you hurt your own conscience, your own soul by apologizing for something that you didn't actually do and thereby lying? I'm not sure that's a very easy question to answer at all, honestly, because there's this whole turn the other cheek thing, a virtue which our Lord enjoins us to. And Paul exhorts us to, so far as we are able, live at peace with all mankind. Well, that would mean that if someone comes to you with an accusation about the evil you have done, whether or not you have done it as they perceive it, at the very least you're part of the sinful condition, broken, fallen, cursed world in which evil things happen and in which you are the chief of the evil things, chief of sinners. And simply by virtue of being part of the scenario, your evil was part of the scenario, whether you understand it, see it, believe it, feel it or not. Well, you should believe it, feel it or not. There is no possible way for you to be part of a situation in which someone else believes there has been evil. Forget that, not even that. There is no possible way for you to be part of a situation and not have brought evil to it. And therefore, there is no way for you not to have something to apologize for. Like, always. Like it was the best party, and the best meal, and the best company, and you still have something to apologize for. 
you can do it without lying. You can say, I'm sorry that my wicked selfishness brought us less of a great time than we could have had if my wicked selfishness, wicked, wicked selfishness had not been there to distract us from all the great time we could have had. Like you could, you could always do that. And so when you're seeking to reconcile with people, there is certainly an enjoyment, a, a command that you strive to live at peace with all people by acknowledging there's just no way. There's no way you came through any scenario without failing the other people. I don't mean failing like in a not sinful way. I mean in a sinful way. Failing to do the right. Failing the other individual's need as God would have you give it. Being his mask in creation. You've taken the mask and you've made it your own. And in this way, well, made an idol of yourself. It's just always true. It's always the case. But this is part of what then, I guess, makes makes apology difficult in a particularly Christian way. Because we can always find the truth that our evil has been part of a scenario. We can always find a, a faithful acknowledgement that there's no way I did not harbor hate, greed, lust, impiety in what I've said, what I've done, in every scenario. There's no way that that's not there. But then, how much of the apology is intent on changing, not impacts and, and not original sin, but an actual outcome? Right? Somebody says, you're a bad person because you like blue pencils. And you're like, Okay, I can acknowledge that in my selfishness, I do, in fact, like blue pencils too much. I like them so much that I believe people who don't like blue pencils are wrong and that they'll figure it out on the last day. They're just not as cool as I am. And I really think that. I really am that cool. I think that much of myself. Like you can do that because we all can do that. We all can do that. If, if you're honest, if you're emotionally, intelligently, spiritually, conscientiously honest with the word of God. And then you can you can acknowledge that about everything you like. But does that mean that you should stop using blue pencils? And that's the, the hard part then. So how then do you continue using blue pencils, which are a gift from God, like red ones and green ones and everything else, but you like the blue ones. They're a gift from God. How do you continue using them when you have also acknowledged that your use of them is sinful? And this is, well, this is the everlasting challenge. Not everlasting. That's totally wrong. This is the temporary challenge of the first article. And of life as regenerate people, mortifying the flesh in a world which is intended to stand. And the law of God, which is good and wise, is not going to be going away when Jesus comes back. It will be established even more firmly. He has not destroyed this law. He has upheld it. He has vindicated it. So how do we wrestle with that in the midst of our idolatry? And the the habitual, I would even call it the sinful though, the, the inherited opinion of the evil within us always defaults toward either an ascetic response 
or a ostentatious overabundance response, right? So you either reject everything that you think might be evil because you think that by rejecting it, you're going to be good. Or you accept everything because nothing can be good and so it's all good. Now in the history of the church, this is the fight between legalism and antinomianism. The fight between those who think the answer is to purify ourselves by extending the law of God to include those things which we can figure out with our minds or opinions, and those who tarnish the actual law of God by rejecting it as if it is just another one of man's opinions. And there's no end to this challenge. There's no end to the battle between the flesh and the spirit. There's no end to this war within your heart being fought on your behalf by God, by Jesus, by the spirit, by the word, and being fought by you in the wrong way because you're being fought against, but then also being fought by you as you are carried along, as you are lifted up, as you are put into the cart and pulled by the, the ox, which is the power of the word of God, and it's not like you're not in the cart moving. You're moving. You're part of it. You see it. And you're awake enough to want to stay in the cart. In any case, the challenge then on the ground becomes how do you say you're sorry when you're not sure you really have something to be sorry about? More so when you maybe think that what you have done is needful, good even, but in which you know beyond any shadow of a doubt that there's no way you did it perfectly, that your own wretched condition is certainly impacting the outcome or the the approach to the good you would do, and that people, some, have been hurt not by just the good thing that you would do that they may indeed hate, and then that's that's kind of on them, but also, without question, by whatever level of original sinful condition you brought along with you in that good that you would do. Now, that might be all vague, but I'm pretty sure, pretty sure you can apply it to your life without bat an eye if you want to. question is, do you want to? It's hard to want to repent. So it was probably five or six weeks ago that I was driving early, early in the morning. I, I Sometimes to, to really get my thoughts going, I need to get out of Dodge. I just got to get away. And uh, you know, that can be something as simple as just going to a different coffee shop in a small town like I'm in, city, small city. Your options are pretty limited in that regard. So one of my favorite places to go is about an hour away, east toward Chicago. And it's just a Starbucks, but it's a it's a unique one. It's newer, and it's got kind of a really cool layout with like three different types of place you can you can work with work in and they each have their own kind of different environment and feel 
And for me, the environment is always like that new environment is always invigorating. It makes me want to think and work more. I'm not, I'm not there to talk to people. I'm there to, to dig in and get something done. So I like to go to that one if I can, but you know, that hour drive is an hour drive. It's, it's a serious thing. So I was doing that, I think on a Monday morning, nearly got killed by some guy who wanted to run me off the road because he was in a work truck and I, I sped around him to get onto the, onto the freeway because normally work trucks don't exactly speed up on, you know, with much effort. And, uh, man, he get mad. Anyhow, I remember that though. I mean, he, he, I've never in my life, aside from this moment, he, he really did try to physically run me off the road. And that was, that was something that was something else entirely. So man, I guess you, you don't want to get to work today either, huh? Uh, um, in any case, so I was listening to a podcast and I'm now, it was with Jocko, but who was interviewing him? Was it Rogan? Might've been Rogan. I'm listening to this podcast and no, it wasn't Rogan. It was, it was Eric Weinstein. I'm listening to this podcast and it's about Eric's interest in what can be learned by American um, civilians, I guess is the word, from military culture about how we might build a better civilian culture to engender respect and completion of mutual goals as a civilization. This is a fascinating question. I, I, I can't help but be enticed by that idea. Now, I don't know a ton about military culture because I'm not military, but I know enough military guys to know that, and, and I know that there are problem military guys too. There's problem everybody, everywhere. But most guys I've met who are military, former military, retired, whatever, however you want to say it. I don't, I don't always agree with those guys. I don't always like those guys, but I'm always pretty confident where they stand. I'm always pretty confident that if push came to shove, we'd be on the same side. I mean, if, if the world were falling apart around us in this little town we're in, we'd be a band of brothers pretty quick. Like they, they would be out to help. And so would I. And so that much is like an immediate unity. As I've always liked those guys. Whichever service you're in, and I, I understand, fellas. I think I do. I mean, I'm just a nerd, right? But I get it. I get the flavors. And if you're going to ask me to pick a flavor, I don't know. I would have been Air Force just because I want to fly planes. I know Navy guys can do that too, right? But, but, um, do, do you know what? I actually tried. I tried to be a military guy. It's totally tangent. Tangent. I tried in high school, age 17. The guy came on, recruiter came on campus to do a big presentation for everybody. He was talking about uh, stuff and I, it would, as Air Force, yeah, I want to fly jets. Are you kidding me? And so I go and I, I do it. And afterwards I'm talking to him and he goes, how's your eyesight? Mm-hmm. Well, it's about 2040. Yeah, you can't do it. Right. I could today. That's just, that's such a crazy thing. Laser surgery. Could have done it. Could have done it. I feel the need for speed. I don't think my name would have been Maverick, though. But I might have been a rogue. Just saying. So, <laughs> military guys, military culture. What what entices me about this idea is exactly what I just said, though. So somehow, 
the vast majority of guys who come out of a military background, even the ones who struggle, and I know there's a lot of struggle with depression, alcoholism, uh, finding work. I mean, there's so many issues that are unpaid attention to by the civilian population. But even with all of that, there is a general respectful commitment and code of behavior it's not written necessarily but it kind of is that they they learned it when they joined the military and certainly boot camp has something to do with it it's got to but it's not all of it either but that that was eric's questions like so how do we do this i mean we've got a current form of public education which isn't doing this. No matter what else you think about it, there's not a unity being created in the culture. That's for sure. Can you imagine if, if like the platoon acted like we do on Twitter talking about Trump as they were trying to figure out how to, you know, engage this, you know, uh, Ramadi town or whatever. Not Ramadi, that was bigger than a town. Um, engage this terrorist cell. How, how, how nuts that would be to start shooting each other. So how does that break down? And that, that's Eric's question for the civilization. So being the silly guy I am, I'm just popped on my camera. The phone's sitting there right on the dash, not, you know, locked in via, via magnet, pretty easy to pop it on. And I started talking about it. And I started asking about, you know, what, what is it about the Missouri Synod culture that keeps us a lot like the rest of American culture and yet distinct enough that, well, without some kind of boot camp, it's pretty hard to know what's going on inside. And is that good? Is it bad? The idea was just to kind of think out loud. That's what a lot of my videos are, you know, and some of these podcasts. And then that would have been the end of it for me. I would never have come back to this. I really wouldn't have. Uh, it was just an, it was just a thought. And I mean, I would, I would have been thinking about how do we here locally engage people who might visit our church in such a way to bring them into the church, to make them into disciples, which understand are committed to the congregation. I don't know why any pastor wouldn't be thinking about that, but in terms of video making, it's not a, it's not a bone I had to pick, but the response, my friend. Uh, oh, I, I, I don't know how I could be a, uh, intelligence, not really the right word. I don't know how I could be a conscientious human being and podcaster and not respond to the response because the response was like out of the water, kind of, kind of nuts actually. On, on a number of levels. I don't mean like you're nuts, right? Necessarily. You could be. I mean, I don't know. You look in the mirror, man. But, but you know, I am. Hey, it's the Mad Christian Podcast. And it's not about being angry. Oh, my goodness. But uh, the number of people, it's not that many. But there's like, you know, there's seven of you who think my show means I'm an angry Christian. Just And then my, my, my passionate, my passionate voice. And my, I don't know hyperbolic, uh, semi-poetic, uh, you know, way of, of, uh, exaggerating things. I'm sorry if I sound angry. I'm, I'm, I'm excited is what I am. And I'm crazy. That's the mad. I'm crazy. I lost it. It's all gone. No filter. 
Yeah, there's still a filter. There's totally still a filter. But there is part of the filter that I am intentionally tearing down. I am ripping it down. Now, it's my, my heart keeps wanting to put it back up because I am by nature a coward. And I am by nature a needy person who is hungry for people to like him, even though I want to be generally left alone. <laughs> um, like a, you know, a classic narcissistic introvert, right? And, and by narcissistic, I don't mean, you know, uh, borderline level. I just mean, it's like, I like my toys and I like my quiet and I like it. That's okay. I'm okay like that, right? So I, I am by nature like that. And yet I, I just, um, I crave acceptance ridiculously. So, I mean, it ruined my life. The, the, if you've heard me talk about the dark times, uh, uh, the, the era of, uh, um, prodigal sonship, it was all driven by this, by this, this need to be liked. And I don't, I don't think I'm you know, like super unique in this. I'm not some, you know, I'm not the only need to be like snowflake in the world that's melting in this burning place, but it is, it is definitely there. And it is a, it is a filter, which at least for my part causes me to question things a lot. It causes me to come back and doubt, self doubt what is said and what is done and what is right and what is wrong. And how far can something be said or done? I'll, I'll just give you an example. So you, you may or may not have heard me talk recently about the conversation I had with a particular non-member who attends other kinds of Lutheran churches that believe all sorts of stuff that go against the Ten Commandments and believe the Bible's not true about whether or not communing together was a great idea and how this person was angry and how I really should have just started examining the faith and been like, okay, fine. Well, let's, let's, you're going to join my church. Here we go. Uh, and just been positive about it, but whatever. Um, you know, I came out of that conversation having tried very hard to be congenial, um, patient, slow to speak, honest, and also hold the line on doctrinal truth. And all I could do was condemn myself the whole way home. It was like, man, if I'd said this, if I'd done that, why was it this way? How could I? How could I? Is there any way it could have been better? Just, just a constant stream of that. And without question, a part of that is just my love for this human being, my desire for this person to come to a knowledge of the truth. But like I was saying earlier, without question, part of this is just my need to be liked. A need. It's a soft word. But that's what it feels like, right? And for better or for worse, that that is what I'm working very hard to tear down in my life right now. So you can go, well, Pastor Fisk, you say you're a selfish person. Why don't you fix it? That's what I'm trying to do. You know, I'm, not, I'm never going to fix it perfectly, but I am particularly attacking a very ongoing sin in my life. And that sin is the need to be liked and to let everyone who gives a comment to me, which in any way is couched emotionally enough to make me feel not liked – be enough to bump me off the line of object uh, of objective discernment. So, if there's anything I really need to apologize for, it's for doing that publicly, I suppose. But I'm not sure how you do that as a public person if you don't do it publicly. And 
maybe I'm not sure how you do that at all if you don't do it publicly because somehow somewhere is going to be public. If it's not the internet, it's got to be somewhere where there are other people. And I'm not trying to be like ostentatiously rude on purpose at all. In fact, I, I keep going back to watch some of the stuff I'm doing on, on Saturday mornings just to be, be sure that I'm not coming off like a complete, um, <laughs> donkey, uh, bat poo donkey. And by and large, from what I can see, it's, no, there's not a lot of anger. There's, there's a, there's, I'm, I laugh a lot, which is nice to, nice to see. I, I, I was not a laughing guy, by the way. This is like just the last couple of years I've been able to laugh at pain a little better. And usually if you do see me laughing, there, there is some pain involved. I, there's a whole t- tangent. Um, I am convinced that fallen laughter, I have no idea what laughter in the garden and in paradise will be like, but fallen laughter by and large is tied to human pain. And it is a, like a, a an ingrained response to avoid insanity. So when you are confronted with a world something in the world that is beyond comprehension in such a way that if you acknowledge it as logical, you must then confess that you are insane and just descend into san- insanity, you know, chew on your own head and what, whatever, or you can laugh about it. And, and so we, we laugh and we enjoy it, right? Uh, non sequitur. Uh, uh, happy to debate that. That's just a philosophical thought that, may or may not be true but back to the the point here again so i'm i'm rewatching this stuff because i really have not wanted to be rude <laughs> or to or to put anything out there which which i would feel you could accuse me of having done it with ill intent with malice or with pure, pure self, um, benefit, pure self beneficial intent. I'm going to have self beneficial intent. So do you. When you, when you send me an email, <laughs> oh, see, hear the pain. Um, when you send me an email about how pastors shouldn't get paid and I'm selfish for saying we should get paid. Do you think that you don't have selfish intent in that email? Do you really think that? Do you really think that you have no greed? Now, I'm, I'm fine for, like, look, you want to you not pay your pastor? Fine. That's fine. Go, don't pay your pastor. But, um, come on. Don't pretend. Don't pretend uh, that you don't, <laughs> you don't think about paying your bills. Uh, and don't, don't expect uh, the man of God who's supposed to care for his family and love the law and order, including paying everyone what he owes, as Paul says, to not care about paying his bills. That's just, that's just, well, ignorant is what it is. So there you go. I just called you ignorant. Does that mean I'm mean? Does that mean I'm a jerk? Does that mean that I am uh, publicly airing grievances that should not be aired? Does that mean I'm not a Christian? What are you supposed to do with bad behavior? Like, what's the proper response to unacceptable social behavior? I know, like as Americans, what do we do? We ignore it. That's what we do. That's weird. I think that's really weird. We don't have any cultural norm. We have so little cultural norm 
that when we see somebody who <laughs> tramples what little we have left, the only norm we have is to say, well, I guess that's the way it's going to be. <laughs> like all we got. And I, and our being liked by other people is tied to this. So you will be liked as much as you are willing to allow other people to do whatever they want, no matter what, to you. And that's what I'm just, I'm just done with that game. Cause I'm immortal now. I, why does that matter to me? Whether or not you like me? Why should that matter to me? It should matter to me whether or not we can reconcile. That does matter to me. It should matter to me whether or not our minds can meet in the word of God. That matters to me very much. But I really don't care if you like me or not. Now, that's only half true. I've just confessed to you I care way too much. But I believe that the justified position is to, well, to not be a respecter of persons. Be be a a respecter of all, but not a respecter of persons. Yeah, you know what I mean when I say that? It's kind of a weird phrase as I think about it. To obey God rather than men. And to not really take it personally when people don't like your effort to obey God. And yeah, sure. I mean, you're going to do it imperfectly. <laughs> there's, no, there's just no way around it. And so you're wrong. So apologize when you can, right? Do it, do what you can. But I'm, I'm, I'm just done worrying about whether or not you don't like what I said just because you don't like it. And if you don't like it because you have a, a really strong argument from the scriptures about how I am in error theologically, like according to the knowledge of God delivered to us in the writings of the apostles and the prophets, and you would like me to consider those words, I will gladly listen I would encourage you, generally speaking, to not use profanity and cuss me out while you're telling me what I'm supposed to go read. That would help. Uh, to not tell me that I'm not a Christian when you say these things. Oh, this has all happened the last three weeks, four weeks. So, so, you know, that, that would help. That would help me want to know what you're saying more. Because when you come with, it's the love wins thing. Um, when you come to tell me I better be more loving in a hateful way, I, I'm not sure whatever loving you're preaching, I want any part of. <laughs> I don't think I want to find out what truth you're, uh, running your system with because it, its result is not, not filled with much grace. And anybody, by the way, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm worried about this. I'm worried that you, whoever you are, I'm worried that you're sitting there thinking, he's talking about me. Oh man, I can't believe it. No, hold on, Mal. I, I'm talking about a panoply of reality in which a multitude of emails, all of which I read, I don't respond to all of them, but I read all of them. All of them are there. And I don't remember who wrote what. Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. But it's just a, it's a mass of information bouncing around the inside of my head. And causing me to ponder, causing me, causing me to think, causing me to doubt, causing me to, to fear, causing me to hunger, causing me to want to stand even firmer. None of this, nothing of this 
Not a word I say. Even if I were to put your name on the question and then answer the question with your name, none of it's about you. It's not. It's really not. It's not about me either. Although, so far as I'm producing it, it has to be. Because I'm the one talking. So I can't talk and not have my head involved in it. So there's that, there's that thing, right? But the, the point, the why, the reason I'm saying anything is because I, hmm, I did say I, didn't I? Because the word of God must be spoken. It must be. We can't stop it. And insofar as I believe I have been unified to it and that his spirit is working faith in me, I have no fear about letting those words and that doctrine rattle around my head in the midst of a broken first article, land firmly upon the foundation which is Jesus Christ's flesh and blood, and then fly out into the world in a willing desire to be one of many confessors who both strive to have those who have not heard hear, strive to encourage those who have heard, strive to gently admonish those who have heard and yet rejected, and strive to you know, not bat an eye at those who, well, scoff. And I'm not saying I got, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm no majesty here. But I think there's something really wrong with us if we can't want, want to be like the prophets who, when they had the word of God, were so convinced that when others would belittle them, scoff at them, slander them, they just said, whatever. Like, it's not changing. That kind of conviction... If you think there's a problem with me saying I want that kind of conviction about the Word of God, then I got to tell you, you're probably the one with the problem. (laughs) Sorry. I got problems. But one of my problems is not that I want to be convicted that the Word of God is true. It's just not a problem. (laughs) That is the solution. The only one. And so again, in my my own battle with mortification of my own flesh I am in the uh, the entrails of tearing down my fear of rejection and if it bothers you to watch hey there's lots of stuff on YouTube that's not me and if it bothers you to listen you know I mean you have to work hard to listen to my podcast it's not like it's just being promoted all over the world so, you know, that that's an effort on your part. So just stop making the effort. It's cool. I'm good, man. I, I This is the point, yeah? I obviously am doing this because I care about you listening, but not if it's going to upset you. I mean, it's just it's not my goal. I mean, if I don't like a podcast, I don't listen to it. I must tear down. My fear of rejection. And if you think that's selfish of me, I'm sorry. <laughs> Again, I, 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 I apologize. I apologize. 
I am sorry that my attempt to be less selfish is done in too selfish a way to satisfy you. It is not my goal. I really mean this. I'm not being sarcastic. It is not my goal to try to be selfless in a selfish way. And even though I will fully acknowledge that there's no way to achieve that goal, that's not an excuse. Jesus is my excuse. My only one. And his excuse of me on the cross does not make my evil good. But it it does make it unable to stop his good. And that's what I believe about all the stuff I'm saying. That wherever it is, whatever my, my wretchedness is in the midst of it, it's not enough to stop his good. Whatever my words are in this muddled mess, they are not enough to bury his words. Is it possible that I am a complete false teacher and leading many to perdition? Yeah, it is entirely possible, but that still won't stop God's word. It just means that, well, it would just mean that I'm at fault for my own damnation and you listening to me to be damned because I'm a false teacher and you're listening and you're going to chase it into damnation. That's not my fault. That's your fault. We all get judged on our own. You know, no, he doesn't, God's not going to send anybody to hell because of the sins of somebody else. So a, a false believer who listens to a false teacher, they have sought to have their ears itched by such a man. Yeah? So, see what I mean? We're 40 minutes into an apology, and it's not much of an apology, is it? Because I'm not... I'm not sorry for trying to speak the truth on YouTube. There's not much of it there, you know. And I'm not sorry for wanting... To have people who are not already Lutherans become Lutherans. I'm not sorry for that at all. I, I don't, I don't quite understand why this is, this is the question again. So why are we so committed to Lutheranism that we would rather not have people be Lutheran than stop calling it Lutheranism? I'm not saying that's what we have to do. I don't even, <laughs> like, it's not the issue. Uh, None of the things is the issue. It's the attitude that's the issue. It's the attitude to the things that don't matter that's the issue. If we have, I was the, this is the, this is the question I want to ask Brian next time he's on. If we actually have the pure gold, sweeter than honey, absolute purest and truest doctrine, of the scriptures confessed in the Oxford Confession, the Formula of Concord, the Small Catechism, then why aren't there more of us? Or why aren't there more people rejecting us? 
Like, I'm not making growth my barometer. Don't even. Don't even. Remember, maybe it's your first time listening to me. Maybe you haven't been around very long. But come on, if you've been around for a while, I've not changed a bit of my theology. The issue is not growth. The issue is being heard. I mean, it's the, the, or, or, here's the answer though. This is why. Here's the answer. And this is what bothers me. Because the Lord said to Israel, the time is coming when I will send a famine upon the land, a famine not of bread, but of the word of God. And man will run from sea to sea in search of the word of God. And he will not be able to find it. Now, if that's where we are, don't you dare tell me that I'm just whining. I'm trying to repent. I want us to repent. Because if that's where we are, what comes next isn't much better. And I don't want that for my children. Yeah, it's selfish of me. I believe we have the golden, sweet bread, manna, white stone truth. I believe we got it. I also believe we don't quite know we got it. We know we think we got it. So we can talk about how we have it. But we have a whole heck of a lot of trouble speaking it. And so I don't, I don't think that the famine not of bread that is, I do believe, upon this land in, in grand effect. I don't believe it has to send us into Chaldea and into an exile from which we never return. Nor do I believe that repentance of the kind I'm talking about would guarantee we grow. It, it might guarantee we get killed. Like, actually. But it would definitely guarantee that we would no longer be unknown. And I'm not talking about my name. I'm not talking about Luther's name. But if, if there's a mark of the faithful church in history, you know, I mean, obviously you got the bread, the wine, the water, the word. Luther talks about this other mark. He calls it the sign of the Holy Cross. And he, he calls it suffering. But it's not like I stubbed my toe suffering. It's not like I'm not getting my best life now. Why, why suffering? And by the way, I'm chief of criers there. Is persecution suffering? And, and no, no, no. You know, um, Sam Harris and Bill Nye, the science guy, don't count as persecution. I'm sorry. That doesn't count. They're not persecuting Lutherans. <laughs> they just hate God. Yeah, I mean, they hate pagans too. They hate anybody who believes in God. They, they, don't, they hate Muslims. Right? So, no, that doesn't count. That doesn't count. We should either 
beloved or despised, and we are as lukewarm milk toast as it gets, with the exception of the ELCA. We've managed to really piss them off. <laughs> but that's largely because, you know, half of them, at least in the generation that's in the retirement age, were, were us at one point. So there's a little, like, I don't know what you call it, inbreeding there. Uh, it's the the second cousins across the road and uh, that we used to be married. Yeah, that kind of thing. If I talk into my cup and my mic, it sounds like this. It's kind of cool. So, hmm. so the original video was simply about what can we learn from military culture and maybe try to understand our culture a little bit better and, and work on it. And because I had a, a little bit of a clickbait title, here we are. But I'm grateful for it. I, I really am. Because I think it's been tremendously beneficial in my own walk having to, uh, to to really wrestle with it. I mean it's not just about you know what's wrong with everybody else I mean it's really not what's about blah, blah, blah. that's really not what it is about at all for me it's not about, I already said this but I'll say it again it's not about you it is about my congregation but it's not like it's not like I'm calling my congregation out specifically. Most of this conversation has been happening with, you know, random people who I don't really know very well, if at all. But it is about asking and testing the ideas for the sake of my congregation that we together might gradually wrestle with not disappearing. I mean, I guess, I guess I should address, address this a little bit here. Um, it's, I think it's fully possible for the faithful church to disappear in a area through no fault of their own. I mean, if someone comes in and kills everybody, hey, there I went. So it's not, it's not what I'm talking about. But the, the, the slow tail between our legs wandering into the abyss of the American darkness that's been going on for 50 years or so. I just don't think we should take it sitting down. And I don't think that... I I, I really want to be very careful how I say this. Because I, I believe firmly that a faithful practice of word and sacrament ministry as given to us by Jesus and confessed in the Lutheran confessions is what we must do and that that is the only thing that can and shall survive. But I don't think that means standing around saying how great it is to have word and sacrament and how bad it is that those other people don't and then patting ourselves on the back and being really glad we still have 16th century classical music around for us and bad coffee. <laughs> oh, the coffee. People are so mad about the coffee. Oh my goodness. It's funny to me. That's the point. Every time you mention the coffee and how it's a stupid thing to talk about, like, yep. So why did you? Because you did. Yeah. To demonstrate that you can't handle it, right? You're proving the point every time you say it. So let it go. And get to the real issue. The real issue is that 
at least a portion of the way we view orthodoxy. Dead orthodoxy, if you know the term. At least a portion of the way we view that is a scholastic and sophistic enterprise used to justify our laziness and greed. I'm going to just let that sit. Should I say it again? At least a portion of the way we practice, we, I'm in this, of the way we practice LCMS orthodoxy is a scholastic and sophistic enterprise used to justify our greed and laziness. If me saying that makes you angry, let me encourage you to assume that I'm probably right and your being angry is the proof of it. Because if I wasn't right, you wouldn't be very angry about it. You would just think I was stupid. You would just be like, well, that's kind of nonsense. Because it's, it's really not that big a deal to say it. If I'm wrong, it really isn't a big deal at all. I'm some random dude in a small corner, in a small corner church with nobody listening. I'm sorry, you yourself personally are not nobody. But look, our numbers, our numbers are so infinitesimally pathetic. 600 downloads, 700 downloads. God bless you. I'm glad you're listening to me. But that's just, you're mad that 700 people heard me say that maybe we should have a little less confidence in our jargon and be a little more concerned about repenting. That makes you angry. What are you protecting? What are you trusting in that I'm threatening so much? Because I'm not threatening justification. I'm defending it. And I'm not threatening the law. All ye third use champions of light, I'm defending it. And I'm not, I'm not threatening the radical Lutheran gospel. I'm defending it. Stuck in the middle with you. I had another weird, challenging, struggling set of thoughts go through my head the last couple of days. You know, it's end times in the church right now. Well, always is, right? Since Jesus left, I'm talking about the liturgy. Christ the King Sunday coming up here, Advent. Oh, God bless Advent right around the corner. And that means some of my favorite hymns. Now, like a lot of good pastors, faithful pastors, who are right there with me in our... We've been trained in this, guys. I'm not accusing you personally. The scholastic, sophistic enterprise, this is an inheritance. It's an inheritance Inside of that inheritance is a pot of gold. It's there. It's just, are we confusing the bag with the gold? That's the question. Most faithful pastors have a lot of favorite hymns. <laughs> it's like, oh, that one's my favorite. Oh, that one's good too. It's like the whole hymnal, almost. We all got our favorite, not favorites too. But, you know, Advent rolls around. There's a couple that we don't sing the rest of the year. That I always pull out and, and we probably don't sing them the rest of the year. They're, they're just not as, well, they're not as good. 
at least the way most people view goodness. But I like them, and I think they're singable. So anyway, I picked one of them. It's just way up there on my list. The text is just phenomenal. And I was I was really challenged when that afternoon, Sunday afternoon, my kids, who are they're liturgically minded peoples, uh, they are they're they are vetted and committed at least until they rebel. They're they're vetted and committed, and God God help me, they're not going to rebel. They're vetted and committed to the liturgy. They get it, they love it, they want it. They're bothered by the other junk. They're bothered by junk. And one of them said. Yeah, I didn't like that one very much. It's like, well, it's like the best one. It's like the one I every year. I'm like, oh man, I didn't like that one very much. I said, why? Why not? So it's just really hard to sing it, and like my heart just broke. Not because she's wrong, because she's right, and it started me wondering though, like, why is she right? Why is that song hard? Because it's not like it's this super, it's not Isaiah Mighty Seer, right? It's not this like ridiculously difficult set of tune or tunes or notes. There you go, notes. It's not. So what makes it hard? And it bounced off of another thought that I've had many times in my life. Like, why does a mighty fortress suck? Like this is the song that changed the world. Why does it suck to sing it? Now you're like, oh, I love it, Pat. You're so, how could you say that? Well, I, I don't know how to how to try to express what I mean. It's got such a great text, and I don't. Well, the tune is an is an interesting question. Let me. Um, that's what I want to get to. I'm gonna come back to that. I remember. Being before I was, I was a Missouri Synod Lutheran English degree teaching at a Missouri Synod Lutheran high school in Southern California, post college, post time as a Missouri Synod missionary in Eastern Europe, but still really a Methodist at heart. And I was charged with helping teach theology. What? And helping lead the chapel service at this high school because I could play a little, I could hack at an acoustic rhythm guitar. And there was, you know, this group of students that would put together the chapel every week and we'd figure out, you know, what it was going to be and we'd bring in speakers or have teachers talk or whatever and they'd all do their things and, you know, and non-Lutheran women get up and, uh, you know, teachers do their, do their thing. It's like, jeez, <laughs> I, I didn't even know at the time to, to think this was a problem. But I loved my, uh, my praise and worship. I loved singing my harmonies for God and, uh, believing that that was the spirit in my life. And, and then uh, the principal, who was a pastor, he he insisted that for Reformation we would sing Mighty Fortress in chapel. And again, you have this band with a, a lead guitarist, and the guy, the kid was good, actually, pretty good. Um, and you got the uh, a lady who played the piano, uh, one of the students, senior. She was fantastic. He's really good. These are competent musicians. And even though, you know, the student body was sort of like American laissez-faire, we don't care. We're not pious, uh, on fire for Jesus like you 15 people who are. 
like it wasn't like the, it was the worst praise band ever. I mean, it wasn't good. You know, we weren't going to sell any records, but, um, but he came in and said, you're going to do a mighty fortress. And so we, we did. And they, I, I can't remember that gymnasium ever being so quiet. I mean, we were trying so hard to sing that thing and to have anybody care. I mean, crickets, the crickets fell asleep, right? Uh, or actually we're just kind of frustrated and looking at their phone. <laughs> now, at the time, I didn't even know what to make of it. I didn't have the theology to think it through. But I knew immediately that it didn't work. That whatever we did with that song, whatever that song was, it didn't work for what we wanted it to be. Now, I don't think that that's, you know, just because the mighty fortresses are God doesn't translate into praise and worship immediately doesn't mean it's a bad song. But it, it how often do you put it on just to listen to it yourself? Like you're just like, I'm going to go for a drive. You know what I need? I need some, I need some mighty fortress today. Now, maybe you do. Maybe you're one of those rare birds who does. But your people don't. And the reason we have that hymn and care about it the way we do is because once upon a time they did. And so we have – this is like the thing I was saying earlier about the you know, famine out of bread. Where are we? There's a couple of reasons we could have for why this is. And one of them could be the one you're assuming I'm saying, which I'm not, which is that it is in fact a bad song. Bad in the sense of there is no redeeming of this song. The words are kind of nice, but it's just it's just poor music. That's not. I actually don't think that. But I do think somehow, some way, we've managed to turn it into a bad song. And I, I don't. I mean, I know a little bit. I have some hunches here. Somehow, while while the musical scene of Western civilization has continued to expand and grow, you can call it decline if you want. In some places, it definitely is. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I just had like a number of, of bad bands go through my head, like bands I really don't like. That I was like, oh, I should just say that one, like as an example. But then there was one I was really looking for, you know, like Imagine Dragons, maybe. You know, just like, okay, fine, yeah, that that would take the cake. But I, I don't know, I don't know what takes the cake for the worst band of of the present day. But certainly, there is there is ups and downs. But I I have trouble believing that a world that is producing uh, things like the. Uh, the drum corps competitions that kids get involved in all summer. I can't think of what it's called, but it's, it's incredible. Uh, and you watch them do this kind of work on the field between football games and all this kind of stuff. And which is also managing to take things like rock and roll and infuse it into classical music, sometimes badly, sometimes really well. Like, like all of this growth in the ear of everybody, except for the guy who's just listening to Bach on his headphones and nothing else. 
Okay, But if you're listening to anything else, you're watching movies particularly, the ear is being molded with what I would call growth. Some of it's better, some of it's worse, but it's it's shift and change of tonal appreciation. And somehow, right along with that, I don't think we've even managed to stay stable in, in our liturgical care. We've declined. We've declined. Now, caveat, I will admit it. Singing a mighty fortress hurts my voice. I love to sing. It hurts my voice. I have to fight the organ. I don't care who, how good you are, who you are as an organist. I always have to fight you on that song. Now, you can say, that's my problem, but isn't the music there to help me sing? And I, and I wonder, I wonder, this is why I started to wonder because of my kid's question. I started to wonder, what could be the real cause of this musically? Because cause here's, here's what I know for a, an utter fact. It's never the tune. I mean, with rare exception, is it ever just the tune? What it always is, is the rhythm. It's, it's the rhythm. And somehow, we have managed to try to force congregational song to match the rhythm of, I don't even think it's the rhythm of the organ, but somehow it is. We've tried to make people sing like the organ plays inadvertently. Now, this is my hunch. You go ahead and disagree. That's fine. That's fine. This is my hunch. But it, 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 it doesn't have to be the organ, though, because just this last week, and it was, it was the same day. Yeah, same Sunday. For the last song of the service, I picked. Now, easy now. Don't get too upset when I say it. And the same day that I'm picking, the day is surely drawing near, and um, oh, and I lost the other one. Uh, oh, the night will soon be ending. I mean, we're singing the the good stuff here, right? Same day in which I preach on a famine, not of bread, Amos. We close with seek ye first. You go ahead and get all upset about Jesus' words, because that's all that song is—is is Jesus' words, and you don't repeat them over and over again. You just sing them. And the last words are that man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. You get upset about the fact that I picked that to close our day of repentant hunger for that in the midst of an apostate world and are looking forward to the coming of Christ the King, the one who is this kingdom. Seek it first. And it was it was amazing to sit there and hear the congregation sing that song with such a easy gusto. They didn't have to work at it. Why? Oh, because it's a child song. Well, maybe. Maybe. I think that's too easy. I think you're, I think that's lazy thinking. I think it just has a better rhythm. Pastor Fisk, are you saying we need drums in church? What are you talking about? <laughs> what are you talking about? No, I'm not saying that. 
Uh, although you could, you could use a, a little bongo with listen, God is calling and be okay with that. But, but no, that's not what I'm saying. The, the primary rhythm instrument in the congregation is the human voice. And I think we need to remember that. What this has caused in my own personal life, I know you want to hear more about that, right? Is I crazy this. I've been randomly singing hymns quietly in a corner <laughs> for the last several days, trying to figure out what's going on. Why why does it hurt to sing this song? And by the way, a lot of that has to do with it's too loud and you're making us hold our breath too long the way you play it. Those half notes are not supposed to be half notes. Please look somewhere. I don't know where it is, but there should be a tempo meter written somewhere and that thing should be a lot faster. That's part of it. But our ear, our ear wants to sing. It wants to hear good music. And so if it's not able to even learn it and it hmm. I know a mighty fortress backwards and forwards. Um, if it's not able to learn it, well, then maybe, maybe we're not singing it very well. So, so anyhow, I'm going to do something really crazy here. So you feel free to just get mad, rage, quit, say goodbye. Love you. We'll be friends still. Okay. I promise. I have nothing personal vested in any of this other than a desire that we all challenge each other honestly and without fear and trust that we're all immortal because of Jesus. But you don't want what's coming next, <laughs> which is I'm going to sing a little bit. And it might be so bad that I delete it. We'll see. We'll see. But I've been thinking about this song. So so the song I love so much is The Day Is Surely Drawing Near. I absolutely adore it. And it goes like, The day is surely drawing near When Jesus God's appointed in all his power shall appear as judge whom God appointed. Hear the beat. Now, I think that beat kills that song. One of my favorite things that musicians can do is when they cover a song without imitating the artist. I don't do it often. It's hard. It's hard. You gotta be good to do this. You can't just be, you know, a, a repristinator. <laughs> uh, you gotta be able to be creative to do this. Uh, probably one of the most famous ones. I don't know if it's the best one, but a famous one is Johnny Cash's cover of Hurt, a Nine Inch Nails song. I mean, that you couldn't get further apart on the spectrum. And you could argue that Johnny Cash's song is significantly better. Guns N' Roses knocking on heaven's door. Well, not quite a change in style. Ooh, 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 ooh. Uh, Jonathan, now I, lo I lost his name. I shared this guy a while back. Oh, I'm, I don't want to stop it to go look. Um, this musician on, on YouTube, Jonathan something something, covered uh, Greatest Show. Like heavy metal hard rock style. Holy moly, is that song beautiful. I mean, it was it was okay in the show. My kids like that movie, but it was okay. Oh, man, is that a song? The way he covers it. Oh. So, there's something where you can take the tune 
And you can make the tune good or you can make the tune bad. It has a lot to do with inflection. It has a lot to do with rhythm. Not just speed. I'm not just talking tempo. So I've been wrestling with Day is Surely Drawing Near because I love the words. I don't mind the tune. In fact, I think the tune ought to be beautiful. And yet my kid didn't think it was. My, my, my musically inclined, educated, liturgical, theological child didn't think it was. The day is surely drawing near when Jesus God's anointed in all his power shall appear. As God, I got it wrong there, as judge whom God appointed, then fright shall banish idle mirth, and flames on flames shall ravage earth, as scripture long has warned us. It's crazy. I, I'm actually struggling with what to say next because I am afraid of the rejection, not of my voice, whatever, that the first thought is, you're singing it like it's a praise song. I'm afraid that that's the only argument you got. There's more. Right, 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 right. No doubt the facts have been exaggerated. Yes. Namely, you know, Bobby, I'm just saying, I'm stopping all more. Well. City's inhabitants are losing their minds. Trigger warning. This ain't a safe space. Complete insanity. By going. Yes, completely, utterly. If you're doing what everyone else is doing, you're doing that. Was that worth a dollar? Click the Patreon link in the show notes to sign up. Pretty please? <laughs>